find the answers to questions you may or may not have asked yourself here at Kaleidoscience, Conversations on Cognitive Science, hosted by Elisa Palmer and Sönke Löw. Before the episode starts, I have two short hints. First of all, at around minute 10, we are talking extensively about the module that we took at the university here in Osnabrück. If you're not interested in that, you can skip ahead a few minutes, and if you want to know more about it, I recommend you listen to episode 0, where we talked about the structure of the study program. And the other note is, our producer Sophie is not studying neuropsychology, but cognitive neuroscience. Have fun with the episode. Hi, my name is Alina, and I am not the host of this podcast, but your hosts are sitting across from me right now and have kindly asked me to interview them. I'm one of the producers, so I'm usually not in front of the microphone, but I am today. So, um, yeah, in a few words, who are you and what are you doing with your life right now? Please. <laughs> Please, Please, rescue stop. me. <laughs> what are you studying? What are you doing right now? Uh, I'm Elisa and I'm currently doing my master's in cognitive science at the University of Osnabrück. All right. Um, I also do my master's in cognitive science right now and uh, I am currently writing my master thesis in theory. I should be doing that right now. But Exciting. Um, we're going to talk about your studies and what cognitive science is to you in a bit. But um, for now, let's ask these icebreaker questions that you always ask your guests so i want to ask them to you as well so as a kid i always wanted to be elisa you should know these by now <laughs> i know i was just thinking what was the main don't thing don't overthink think. it no no not uh, I, i'm right now i was between wet so veterinarian or um actually i wanted to study um ancient egyptian history interesting yeah so i always wanted to be historian i guess I think like the earliest I can remember, me and my brothers wanted to open a vacation park. Like um, roller coasters or like houses? No, just, just the resort somewhere with houses and uh, yeah. Can people go to a holiday? Yes. <laughs> That's very specific. <laughs> I've never heard of that before. Second question. If I were an emoji, I would be Elisa. I think the one that's nervously laughing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. <laughs> so uh, I would be probably like uh, the one that's transcribed as slight smile. The Slide. creepy one? I don't know which one is the creepy one. Like there's this one where you have two identical ones and one is normal with eyes on top and one yes. is turned with the eyes on the bottom. I think that's the creepy one, because it, to me it always looks like it wants to murder you. The one with the eyes on the bottom? No, the normal one. Oh, yeah, I use the other one all the time. Yeah, like, the other one is fun. <laughs> the other one is, like, playful and cute. I think that would be me, like, the <laughs> smile upside down. It's just so universally usable for all situations. So would Slide you be the creepy smile. one or a good smile? Probably the creepy one. <laughs> <laughs> you don't come across as creepy. <laughs> But I see how that's your favorite. Okay. Um, my favorite thing to do on a day off is... Maybe Zunka first now. Probably nothing. <laughs> how do you do nothing? Just lay down? No, I mean, there's always some probably online content, maybe a YouTube video on some topic or something that I could watch. But there's nothing like at the end of the day where I go, oh, today I did this. It's just nothing. <laughs> 
just existing yeah, and listening much. to music actively uh no i don't even do that really huh. well maybe yeah sometimes but that's also like the content i watch online then for me so that all blends in okay elisa uh i think what i like to do is to just grab my bag and go on a train and go hiking somewhere so kind of without a plan where i'm landing just go outside and be outside for a whole day <laughs> nice um fourth question right now i'm most fascinated by who wants to go first elisa I think that's tricky. Um, in a way, I'm really fascinated by Instagram right now, <laughs> more for the reason that we use it for the podcast as well. And I'm kind of, on the one hand, really confused by how Instagram works, like how the socializing on Instagram works, and also always maybe overthinking everything, but I'm really analyzing other accounts at the moment so maybe i'm really fascinated by instagram right now the algorithm yes <laughs> uh, what are you fascinated um, by right I'm now probably most fascinated right now by the life and death of john f kennedy oh how come uh it was also sparked by a youtube video um there is uh, a very big um youtube channel called lemino who does like uh like mini documentaries uh he just uploads like twice a year at most Uh, because he goes like really in depth and they are like over an hour long and he does all the research all the editing all the animation and stuff um and he recently did a video on um like the assassination of john f kennedy um and then just sent me down a rabbit hole so i have looked into this and then i've started the reading one of the um biographies of him now that's fascinating do you also look into his sons Because isn't there one running for president right now, like his grandson or something? Um, I don't think it's his son. It's more like, I guess it's the son of his brother, I think. Oh, okay, I see. I think so he didn't have any kids, right? I'm not there in the I book yet. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You should know. You're the expert now. Uh, yeah, so fascinating. Luckily, luckily, we're not doing a history podcast today. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, I, I would be bad with that. Uh, okay, last question. I know it's time to call today when... Probably when it's 7 p.m. That's <laughs> <laughs> usually the time that I eat uh, yeah, my last meal. So it would be 7 p.m. and then I just don't do anything. Maybe like if I'm really fascinated by like a coding thing, then I Old would. Kennedy. Yeah, but that's not that's not calling it a day for me. That's like that's like the free time. So you don't. Okay. If it's like going to bed, then it's probably being 12 p.m. So, uh, um, but yeah, not. Stopping like working on university stuff is probably 7 a.m. P.m. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I mean, do sometimes it's 7 a.m. <laughs> That would be my schedule, though. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me it's even an hour earlier, so I normally stop working at 6 p.m. Just because in the first couple of semesters I always worked until 8, 9 and realized that's really bad for me. And then I just decided, okay, when it's 6 p.m., Maybe quarter past six, I close my laptop for university stuff. I didn't do that during my bachelor's thesis, though. So there I stretched my <laughs> time to call it a day, but I tried to keep it at 6 p.m. I love how structured you both are, because I'm not <laughs> I'm a mess when it comes to that, but good for you. Great. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, um, you already talked about your better thesis. So you both are studying cognitive science in Osnabrück. Um, so am I, by the way. That's how we know each other and how this whole project came to life. Um, why cognitive science? What brought you here to Osnabrück to the study program? Uh, when I was asked, like, or when I was approaching, like, the graduation from high school, um, I was always asked, like, oh, what do you want to do afterwards? And it was, like, pretty clear to me that I want to go to university and study something. Uh, but what wasn't really clear, and I always had, like, this reflex answer of saying I want to study uh, psychology, but I didn't really look into it or they had nothing, like, very concrete uh, in mind. Um, And then when like the graduation got closer and closer, I started looking on like one of those websites, like study check or whatever. And I was looking like the the category that psychology was in and I was scrolling it down and I read like cognitive science. And um, yeah, I clicked on that and then I saw like what that is. And I was always like very fascinated by artificial intelligence and a lot of stuff and also was like very active in the philosophy class in school. And um so when I read like that, this field is like the combination of psychology, AI, philosophy, and all of that. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna study that. That's me. <laughs> nice. How yeah, was I, it for you, Elisa? I kind of stumbled into cognitive science. So I also did those tests, but I knew that my grades wouldn't be good enough to start studying psychology. Um, and I can't even remember how I found cognitive science. I just found it at some point. I was like, well, they're not going to accept me anyway, so I just apply. And when they when I get in, I'm going to do it. And when I'm not, I'm fine. So I know I could also do something different. So I applied. And when I got accepted for the bachelor's program, I was like, oh, fuck, I've said when I... Oh, sorry, shouldn't swear. Oh, beep. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but I was like, when I got in, I was scared, actually. I wasn't happy about it. I was just like, now I have to do it? Really? Are you kidding me? Okay, so here I am. <laughs> Great. And I think you liked it because you've been staying here for quite a while now. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny because I think many cognitive science students start like that. They're like interested in so many things and they just end up here because so many things come together. Um, there are so many areas cognitive science incorporates and brings together. So what are your main interests and main research areas within the cognitive science field? Uh, I probably most focused on um, artificial intelligence and machine learning in my bachelor's and the master's. Um, I only in my master's discovered like the field of philosophy again. Uh, so like in, in the bachelor's, I wasn't really enthusiastic about the courses that were there. But um, yeah, last semester I found like a very interesting and niche course and uh, that got me excited excited again um yeah and i also like did linguistics uh, because like you have to do a lot of different things in your bachelor's and uh, i guess like the linguistics courses were also really fascinating nice i like how it changed for you because i think it's also something lots of students discover during the studies Like, I came here and I was like, I'm going to do neurobiology and linguistics. And I do neither of those. Like, I've done the basic courses and I was like, I actually don't like them. <laughs> I actually also do AI and um, stuff that I wasn't that excited about before. So yeah. I guess it's it's nice to come here and to rediscover interests, even if you do it again in your master's later. So 
that's I'm really happy that you had that experience, um, as so many other students have as well. Elisa, what are your research interests? It always depends on the courses that are available, actually. So I would say at the beginning of the bachelor's, I was quite into linguistics and neurobiology. And then, well, then we had a lack of psycholinguistic lecturers at the university. So I kind of shifted more to psychology and even a bit more into neurobiology. And then I realized, well, yeah, but I don't want to do pure science. So I shifted away from neurobiology again and went more into um, the application of AI, not the programming part, but more the application part of AI. And that's, I would say that's where I'm at now. So I'm really interested by the practical parts of AI, so where we can use it, how we can use it, how we can bring more AI into different aspects of life, but also into the psychology part of it. But if I remember correctly, your thesis was more on the biology side of cognitive science? It was on chimpanzees. <laughs> <laughs> and here you could discuss if it's on linguistics or biology, but not neurobiology. So it was okay. comparative biology. It wasn't looking at chimpanzee uh, brains. It was more observing or focusing on the communication of chimpanzee infants and their mothers. Um, and it's to me, it's quite tricky to even say which part of cognitive science this belongs to because we don't have um, behavioral theories that much behavioral theories uh, in our studies we have more like what's happening in the brain but less how do people uh, how do people or animals act I guess it would be a part of like cognitive psychology but it's not not that quite yeah not that also not that big in our institute um what was your thesis on Zunko? My bachelor thesis was on um, the gender of the voices of voice assistants. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not even sure if it's right to call it a gender because that's complicated, but um, because like all the voice assistants like have a default setting of having a female voice, so, like the big ones are uh, Apple Siri. Um, Amazon Alexa. Cortana? Yeah, Cortana's uh, yeah, also rather like female. So Cortana also like female name. female name, yeah. yeah. Um, I, and I was looking at, because uh, there was like a big report on why that could be bad and reinforced like stereotypes because they are very servant and uh, don't have like a high status in that interaction. Um, yeah, and I was like looking at the theoretical, ethical perspective of that. So it was more ethics of AI? Uh, yeah, probably, yeah. So like the supervisor I had, because back then we didn't have like an ethics of AI um, professor at our university. And he was like actually joining the university kind of exactly when I was writing the thesis. Um, and my supervisor already suggested that I might contact him, but I didn't in the end. Uh, and I contacted another uh, philosophy professor at our university to, to be the second supervisor of the thesis. But yeah, it, in theory, it would be like ethics of AI, yes. Okay. You already talked about a few different fields that you were interested in. Um, is cognitive science, like when you started, you probably had an idea, or maybe also not, because cognitive science is quite difficult to grasp. And we ask our freshies every year, 
like on the first day we asked them, what is cognitive science? And over the years, I think their definitions have become closer to what it actually is. But in the beginning, it was like robotics, maybe computer science, maybe psychology, but it's really not. Um, so is cognitive science like the studies here? You've done your bachelor's and master's here. Is it like you expected it to be? And if yes or if not, what's different? Do you want to start or I start? If you have something, you can start. I usually start thinking once I'm speaking, so. <laughs> um. I can also give some input if that helps. Yes, sure. Because, um, like I said earlier, for me, I came here and I was like, I want to do neuroscience and maybe linguistics. Yeah. Um, I didn't think that much about AI, even though I, I was interested in engineering first. So I kind of came that route into Coxie and was like, oh, there's some programming in that as well. So I might have a technical interest as well. Maybe that brings this together. But... In the end, it turned out to be a lot more than I could have expected and also maybe hoped for because mm-hmm. there were so many or there, there are so many interesting things in cognitive science that I really love. Um, and that's definitely different than I expected. I expect to be there. Maybe more of a structure, maybe more of <laughs> clearly defined fields. And I didn't expect it to be so interdisciplinary. And that's also the part now that I really love about it. Yeah, I think at the beginning I was quite overwhelmed by everything so at the beginning I remember that over the first couple of semesters I struggled quite a lot to figure out what I, I'm interested in I always had too many courses so I was always like one of those students trying to do much more courses than I would recommend people doing <laughs> but that was mainly because I always thought okay that sounds interesting I want to start that I want to start that I want to start that before I started studying here I th- hoped it would be quite a lot of psychology uh, and quite a lot of m- well more working on the brain meaning like more using brain images and uh, talk about brain imaging techniques and how they reveal something about the way humans are and there's of course some courses on that but I realized that It's not really what I want to do because I, before I was more interested in learning about the human brain. I was really interested in how does the human brain work. And the deeper I got into cognitive science, the more I realized, well, there's no way in understanding how the brain works. <laughs> um, and what I think I underestimated was the amount of um, computer science that was involved. So the first couple of semesters were quite challenging for me because it was a lot of computer science and also courses which required some basic knowledge in computer science. It's very theoretical in the yeah, beginning. It is. Yeah, I and feel like you learn all these tools that you definitely need for later um, courses that are maybe a bit more hands-on and also a bit more practical. But um, I think many students at the beginning are a bit overwhelmed by like all the math and yeah. programming and statistics. And that's all like in the first year. So And especially even courses where I thought, well, that can be, or could be less of it. So like um, computational linguistics, we have an introduction course on computational linguistics. And I was actually hoping for more linguistics and less computation. And I remember that I was really struggling with the computation parts in courses where I didn't expect it before. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad that I made it through because now I'm, I'm a bit less afraid of programming. I'm still really slow and I need a lot of well, coding support. <laughs> But um, 
I'm less afraid of it by now because I've gotten so familiar and always seen it in so many different um, courses and I've always been faced with it on different levels that now I'm like, I would love to be better in it. Mm -hmm. And I'm really grateful and really glad that I had the chance to, despite I really never got into it, at least get the general idea of coding and of being able to understand the general idea of what different um, algorithms can do, what different um, approaches are, because I think that's something really helpful as well. Especially for your interest now. I think it's if you look at the application of AI, it's very helpful to also understand AI and to understand what it's doing. Because I feel like often when it's discussed in public discourse, you realize people use ChatGPT, but they don't really know what it does and what's behind it. Yeah. So I think it's really great that we get this basic education um, and also maybe learn that code and numbers don't bite and it's really a great tool, even though you might not be the biggest fan of math and computer science. Um, it's definitely good to know a bit about it. Yeah. yeah. How was it for you, Zinka? <laughs> I was hoping you forgot me by now. Um, I guess like for me it was similar to what was already said. Like the first semester when I got here was like quite overwhelming somehow and it's you learn like the basics and I, that wasn't really like what I wanted from cognitive science. Um, but as um, I got deeper into the topic and with more semesters, like I think like the second or the third semester were, like, was like when it really clicked for me. And um, yeah, then it became like the thing that I wanted it to be. And um, it maybe got even like bigger somehow. So like the things that I was interested in before um, that I wasn't expecting from the study pro program were also like incorporated somehow. And uh, then I realized so maybe that's uh, why I was interested in them because like the, the area is is the thing that interests me and not like the, the specific subtopics. Interesting. I feel like there is this moment for almost every student where it just clicks together and you're like, oh, this yeah. actually connects somehow and it works together. And everything I've learned in all the basic courses actually has a reason to be there and actually prepared me for more in-depth stuff, especially when you do those um, interdisciplinary courses where stuff is overlapping and you're like, oh, actually, I can use all the knowledge I have from, from different fields, which is, um, for me, it's really great. And I think that's the most fun part of cognitive yeah. science. It's Definitely. not so clean and maybe also boring in a way, because I feel like when you only do like one topic, it can become, you get this view of the world from your from your field and when you do different things I feel like we become more diversified and have different ideas and also more approaches to a problem. Yeah, and also view one problem from a lot of different sides. Yes. I also like when I'm in discussions with people who study different fields um, that they of course are really good in one specific field but for me it's a bit easier to switch between different um, aspects of yes. one topic and I think that's something really valuable because you just get such a great overview of all the possibilities that are there. Yeah. I had this discussion the other day with um, our other producer, Sophie, and she told me that um, she's, I think her master's is more psychology. It's, and uh, neuropsychology. Neuropsychology, yeah. yeah. Um, and she had a problem and used an approach she knew from like the machine learning side of things. And 
on the one hand, it was great for her to think out of the box, but suddenly that was the wrong approach because she did something that you wouldn't do in psychology. Mm. Um, I think that's really funny that we have so many different approaches and we can use them, but then maybe also sometimes forget that there is actually a state of the art in some disciplines yeah. that we shouldn't break. <laughs> so that's really funny and a really great, um, great example of a cognitive scientist going somewhere <laughs> and discovering all the possibilities, but then also being like, oh, I shouldn't do that, actually. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> um, yeah, greetings to Sophie, by the way. Um, we already hinted on that, but is there a field or topic that you expected to be more of in the cognitive science, or maybe even the other way around, where you were surprised that that is a part of cognitive science? And maybe even is there something you wish there would be? would be a play bigger part. Like in the classical cognitive science, I think you also talked about this in the very first episode, anthropology is still a thing of like Gardner's hexagon, um, but we don't really do anthropology in our university. We had like one course because students wished for it, which was really cool that a professor said, okay, I'm going to do this. Um, but is there any of those things where you're like, oh, I wish there was more of that, or I didn't expect it to be here in the studies? I was hoping for more uh, neuropsychology especially during my fourth to seventh bachelor semester. Um, but again, like I often, when I see a course, I'm still like, oh, wow, that sounds super interesting. I did not expect this to be an existing topic. And I think, of course, there are always things that can't be covered. Mm. But also since many, or since the topics of our courses change quite often, especially of seminars. I always discover new aspects of cognitive science where I've never thought about or where I never expected that this might also belong to it. So, for example, um, we or there was a course this year called Cognitive Science of Peace, and I would have never expected that you could also talk about the cognitive part of peacemaking. It was um, a great course, by the way. Yeah, I couldn't take it, it unfortunately. Oh, I, I took it and I really liked it. Lots yeah. of interesting discussions in there. Yeah. So, yeah, I think for me it's more like I'm always surprised about the courses we have and I'm always really thrilled when I see a new course. Um, and sometimes, of course, I think, well, I would have loved to do more of a certain aspect. But then again... It's like two sides of a medallion, right? Yeah, because you only have, like, even when you study for longer than the traditional six semesters. Which we've all done, by the way. <laughs> True. <laughs> but pshht. Um, you still wouldn't be able to do all of them. So I'm quite happy, actually, about the fact that it's limited. Because the more choices you get, the harder it gets to decide. True. And so I'm quite happy that, at least to some degrees, it's limited. Yeah. Um, so the thing is that I like I expected differently this uh, cognitive neuropsychology part because like as I said before I was in school I was saying like I want to study psychology and then once I got here that was probably one of the least interesting fields that uh, there are at uh, our institute at least for me and uh, because like the main thing that interested me in psychology was like social psychology and we don't have that at all so we have the like the cognitive part and like neuro part of psychology but uh like the social component wasn't really really present uh, but thankfully like our study program is really flexible and we are allowed to take courses outside of our institute um so i 
was able to to take a social psychology class from the psychology department and also get like the credit points for this for my bachelor's. Nice. Actually, is a seminar on social cognition every couple of years. That's true. You could still take that. <laughs> yeah, you could. <laughs> so I did. I liked it. But I took it in like my fourth semester. Like giving him ideas on how to extend his studies now. <laughs> I want to keep him here a bit longer. That's the you want to stay time. even longer? He has love nice courses. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the candy bar. Yeah, true. Yeah. It's the topic you always wanted to do, so just stay here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I was a bit surprised that um, when we got a new methods module, that that became its own thing, which mm -hmm. I really liked. Because um, there were so many courses that officially could go into many different modules, but that didn't really seem to be a coherent thing. And suddenly we had this new module and um, all the things like statistics and uh, um, programming courses and also Unity courses, they suddenly all kind of belonged together. And I was surprised about the amount of methods course mm -hmm. we actually had that went further than just the basic Introduction to data analysis, um, and it was suddenly I I could see that I actually learned a lot of skills yeah. over the years, yeah. and um, that that's I think really nice because while studying, you sometimes forget what you can actually do, and you feel like you learned nothing mm -hmm. because you know so many things, but they're all like it's not like a psychologist who knows psychology. We're like, oh, I know a bit of psychology, but also a bit of this and a bit of this. Um, so it's it's always nice to see things come together and realize, oh, I'm I'm actually quite well educated and I, I know things. <laughs> so one of the reasons you started this podcast was that cognitive science, like cognitive science topics are being talked about in public discourse without cognitive science ever being mentioned. So are there any topics you think COGSI-related or not, that should be talked about more in the public discussion, maybe things you realize during your studies? Like for me, it's one of the obvious ones, ethics of artificial intelligence, um, because we talk about big data and data security, but in a way where it's seen from a, I don't want to say a wrong perspective. I think one whole press would argue that way. You would see that, say that um, people do it the wrong way. Um, but I feel like, people seem to understand a bit of it and they're like oh if i don't share my data then i'm fine but you're actually not mm, yeah. um, that's something I, I i wish people would learn more about and understand a bit more about is there something like that for you actually um ai in general came to my mind first as well but my second thought was well that's way too obvious <laughs> so for me it's super obvious that ai is connected to some degree to cognitive science But it's obvious for me because I'm studying cognitive science. Um, the second thing that came to my mind was that I would wish for some parts of psychology to be more put into context of cognitive science, not the part of where you treat um, disease or um, where you try to improve the mental health of people, but more the aspect of Well, that's a mechanism which is known to happen in many people. So, for example, the sunken cost fallacy, which is a phenomenon which is, I think, quite known in most cognitive science students. So the sunken cost fallacy is when you started to work on something and you already spent a lot of time in it, and then you realize, oh, well, it's going down downhill. But then instead of stopping and leaving 
on the project, you decide, I'm going to put more effort in it. And to me, that's, well, I feel like many cognitive science students have heard of it and kind of can also put it into the context of cognitive science. But when I hear it in other formats and other podcasts, to me, there's always a tiny part missing. I can't really say what it is, but it's kind of, I often feel that when I listen to psychology um, podcasts, that they do explain things I've heard in my studies as well, but there's always a part missing for me. And I can't really grasp what it is. It's just, there's always something missing. Interesting. Maybe it's also a part of knowing about things and then applying them or mm -hmm. they, then realizing the actual examples in, in the real world. And I feel like sometimes we, we learn things and then we stumble across something. I don't really have an example for that right now, but you stumble across something like, oh, that connects, but it's not named, like the mm -hmm. connection isn't named. So maybe it's a bit like that. Yeah, like, okay, maybe. They know about that as well, but then the connection isn't there. It's like a couple of um, unconnected strings. And you could connect them into a network, but you only have the strings. They're just like, yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, you stole my example. I'm um, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> when like the the data or the the ethics of AI professor started working here, and he gave like the lecture, and he was like uh, saying like the misconception, like if you think of ethics of AI, you think of self-driving cars killing people, maybe. And then he was like, yeah, that's not what I'm really concerned with at all. And uh, I I'm was surprised. I remember sitting in that lecture and people being like, oh, what are we doing then? Like, we have a whole <laughs> semester in front of us and we're not doing self-driving cars. Like, and then suddenly he opened up what he's actually doing. It was like really cool. Yeah, I totally agree. Like the, the, the things that were there were really interesting and I didn't know anything at all. Like um, he had this example of um, like social media introducing this feature of you marking your friends in pictures and I thought like oh that's yeah that's just something that social media did and it's like a nice feature for social media and then he explained that like maybe the idea behind it was to find highly high quality labeled training data for uh, face, face recognition algorithms so he was like and so the social media platforms were like if you mark your friends yourself then we have like the name and we have several pictures of with that name so we can identify that person over and over again and that's like the thing that they need like the, the amount of training data is like the limiting factor for most of these applications and then like this little trick that I never thought about but then he put into context that was like really really mind-blowing for me so that's like something that isn't discussed in the public discourse I would say. It's also the same about the captures that you always get on websites <laughs> Like, I remember just clicking them all the time, being so annoyed that I have to, again, tell which is a chair and what's a bus. Mm. And then suddenly you're realizing, okay, this is actually a tool to get training data because humans label what's in the picture. Yeah, um, always when I see, like, the, the capture label, I always think, oh, I'm getting scammed here right now. <laughs> <laughs> They're also getting more creative. I recently found, like, cows on there. I was like, oh, that, that's a fun new one. And I realized, like, oh, I'm suddenly excited about the new capture because it's not boring anymore. But obviously the system is still the same. It's just new, different pictures, new training data that I'm, I'm generating at that moment. So, And you can't get around it. Like, there's no way to escape captures. No, it's, yeah, it's such a genius idea because, like, first of all, it has, like, a really good function because, like, the things that 
so when it uses when it generates training data through that capture, then it needs um, maybe a function that the system doesn't have right now, right? Because like if there's lacking training data, then they can't do anything. So it's like really effective at detecting bots and separating them from humans. And at the same time, it improves the bots somehow. And then they, this capture has to change. And yeah, it's like really fascinating. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm really happy about that part of that, <laughs> that we got the education because I think it's so important um, in, our, in today's society. Maybe even that we carry it along because um, that's also one thing I'm doing right now. I'm going into the education direction of cognitive science and because um, I think it's so important to teach kids and also adults, just like general population about these things. Everything we learn is so interesting and so important to everyone that it should also be carried out there to the non-academic world. We're getting towards the end here. Finally made it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this last question, more or less, came from Sophie, um, who wants to know if you have a fun fact in the cognitive science field. So she has one that I'm going to share. Um, so Sophie's fun fact about cognitive science is that sign language is a real language. It fulfills all linguistic criteria for language. Like humans can even have an accent in, in sign language they can mumble. And babies can brabble in sign language. We don't know language yet. They just they start signing with their hands. Um, and facial um, facial expressions can take, for example, grammatical functions. So I thought that's really interesting. Do you have one of these that you want to share? Something really fun about cognitive science. I'm not really sure if that's a fun fact, but um, there was also something that clicked like way later for me so there's this famous um schrodinger's cat thought experiment and i always had like this thing about this experiment that i didn't like it or there was something that that i couldn't really place that that annoyed me uh and then i was taking a lecture on um on consciousness and then the lecturer um like presented one of the series on consciousness it's called quantum consciousness and then i was and i didn't like the theory and then i was doing like the connection between this and the schrodinger's cat experiment i was like that's the part of the experiment that i don't like about it it it's kind of assumes quantum consciousness because like the experiment is you put um a cat in a box and um something that measures like quantum states and um, that triggers like a poison And the thing is that um, usually when we don't measure the quantum state, it's in two states at once. Um, and as soon like, as we measure it, then it only then decides which state it really is in. Um, and then the argument was like, if that's the case, then the measurement measures both and the cat is like the, the poison is triggered and not and the cat is alive and is dead. Um, and then I realized that That only works if like the thing that triggers the wave collapse, so the decision of the quantum state, is like human consciousness, us reading like the measurement. And that assumes that, first of all, quantum consciousness is real, so the human consciousness triggers it, and that the cat doesn't have any consciousness, because if it had consciousness, it would also have quantum consciousness and trigger it. 
And then I realized like the thing that was assumed in the experiment is like quantum consciousness and only humans are conscious and that didn't sit well with me. And so then I finally realized what triggered me about this thought experiment. That's a very fun fact. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought it just blew my mind. <laughs> yes, I am like I'm still processing what you just said. I, I I listened to that lecture, but I didn't draw that connection yet. So I kind of want to go back to my books and rethink that whole thing. That's that's amazing. Thank you for that. Elisa, do you have a fun fact about cognitive science? I'm really bad with fun facts, I have to admit. I can share one more. Sure. So there was this part where I was, or this time where I was really into octopus. Octopus? What's the plural? of plural? Octopi? Octopuses. Octopoden? <laughs> That's <laughs> a German one. Yeah. Octopodens. No. Octopuses. I'm just going to say octopuses. Um, and where I read a lot of things about them, because I think they're also a great, they're also the mascot of this uh, Coxie Student Journal. Um, and it's one of those Coxie animals, I think, because they're like so weird and have like so many arms, so many brains. Um, they are colorblind. So the animal that's so famous for changing its color actually can't see color. Which blew my mind yeah. back then. Um, is, is it known how they change the color? Is it not yet known? So I didn't look into that yet because okay. um, I, I read this book. So the book is called Other Minds, The Octopus and the Evolution of Intelligent Life by Peter Godfrey Smith. I think the book is from like 2016. And in here he writes that there is a new paper coming out soon about how they actually change color. There is the theory that they have mirror cells, um, mm -hmm. but there were multiple theories and they couldn't really pinpoint one that's right yet but there are multiple ideas how it works without them actually seeing because like when your cells can see then you don't need to see like your eyes don't need to see the yeah. color um so i would really like want to go back and read again on this this topic but i remember reading that and i was like no that can't be right how can they change color yeah. if they can't see color and then yeah it's because it's not their eyes that actually do the color changing it's their cells Interesting. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I remember that humans have a certain kind of cells in their eyes as well, uh, which are also found in, I think, frogs. Um, and those are the cells that make our eyes light sensitive, but it's also present in humans who are totally blind or don't have eyes. So like, even when you um, are fully blind and you can't see anything at all, you have those um, cells in your eye or neurons in your eye, please don't um, get me down on the exact word right now, please, but um, which can detect if it's uh, daytime or nighttime. And they, those trigger um, the, for example, melatonin. Um, if so, if the, those cells work in a way that when the lengths of the light waves change um, over the day, so in the morning they are more blue light, more blue waves, and across the evening you get more red waves and those cells kind of detect the structure of the light waves and um, even in blind people who can't see anything at all those mechanisms work which is really fascinating to me because it's again something where you can't see something but still your whole system is able to process what is happening on the outside world 
I never thought about that, but obviously blind people also have a circadian rhythm. Yeah, I, 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 and yeah, I always exactly. say that like for non-blind people, like seeing people, it's triggered by the daylight. And it works the same for blind people because they have the same kinds of cells or neurons uh, in their eyes, which they don't need for seeing, but which are triggered by light. But that was actually not my fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have another fun fact for us? Yeah, I just came across one fun fact, which for me is really basic cognitive science knowledge. And it belongs to uh, linguistics again and uh, to the theory of mind. Um, in my first semester, of course, quite into psycholinguistics. And what I found really interesting is that children who grew up with multiple languages are better able to perform at a certain kind of task, which is called theory of mind. Theory of mind says that you are able to kind of predict what the other person might be thinking. So, for example, when you present a child with a shelf where some um, parts are blinded and you don't see what is in the shelf and others open, the a child with a good ability in theory of mind could would be better at describing an object when it has a similar object in one shelf which is blinded for the other person. So kind of it can better predict what the other person can see and can't see. Um, and what was really interesting for me at this point, and now it makes more sense, but at this time it didn't make that much sense to me, is that um, people or children who grew up with two languages or more languages are better able to predict that. So that just by kind of Growing up with the constant knowing of I have, might have to switch the language already influences how good you are at predicting what other people might think. Is it because it primes them to anticipate the switch? or like? I don't know about the mechanisms, but I would assume so. But I don't know. I have to say I don't know. That's interesting. It was like my third semester, and it's just one of those facts <laughs> that kept in my head. a while ago. Yeah, it is. <laughs> That's that's amazing. Um, even how like things that don't seem connected at first actually come out to be connected. Yeah. That's yeah. Thank you for sharing those fun facts about cognitive science. We should pick that a segment. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then the last question for me to ask really is: If I would be someone who has no idea about cognitive science, so imagine your parents like five years ago were like, "What the heck is cognitive science even?" And I would like to dive more into these topics. Do you have maybe a book recommendation or a YouTube channel or an author, a podcast, something that's like non-academic paper style, but actually like more like popular science, easy to get into, um, maybe from your preferred cognitive science field, do you have something you want to share there? Of course, people could listen to this podcast because mm -hmm. it's only cognitive science. It's the best podcast. It is. <laughs> well, not that sure about that yet, but... We are a cognitive science podcast, and I don't think there are many other pure cognitive science podcasts. There are some podcasts about subfields of cognitive science, but not cognitive science in itself. I think for me, one of the first books I read during my first semester was On Behavior. And another one I really liked was How Emotions Are Made. That's more into philosophy and psychology, I would say. Uh, yeah, that's really hard for me. Um, you don't read. <laughs> you used to not read. <laughs> but you look YouTube videos, maybe, yeah. Yeah. So I guess like there's one channel who's called Exerbio, and the I is written with the one. And um, he does like 
really well written kind of crazy videos um and he um yeah focuses on a lot of topics i don't think he would call it cognitive science i'm not sure if he's aware of cognitive science um but he does like a lot on um yeah like philosophy in that direction so also consciousness and stuff like that and um also has done a lot on artificial intelligence recently um he also does like maybe physics um that's not so much part of cognitive science but i guess it's also like one of this these popular um scientific things that are always like uh that always generate like an audience and that are all intrinsically interesting to to humans i would say um so i maybe looking at the videos of exerbia there are some cognitive science topics in there nice I think I want to recommend because um, we talked about consciousness earlier. Um, Anil Seth is one of like the most famous consciousness researchers, and he wrote a book um, called "Being You." I think that's what's called. Um, and I I read that while doing the course, and I really like that one. So if you want to dive into more who you are and what consciousness is, and if you have consciousness, and if you are a human after all, um, and all the theories. It's a bit, a bit more scientific than maybe other books, but I can really recommend it. And of course, Other Minds. I, <laughs> I love that. So if you like octopuses and you're like, what the heck are they even? That's a great book. And we can put all the things we just mentioned in the show notes so people can look them up with like the full authors, maybe even links. Thank you for this uh, interview and for talking about yourself and yourself inside the cognitive science field. I think it's really nice to also get to know the hosts of this podcast and how they are connected to cognitive science and why they even do all of this and what they like about it. So thank you for your time and yeah, for talking about this with me. Thank you very much for interviewing us today and for <laughs> jumping into the scary seat of the interviewer. It is very scary. <laughs> I don't even remember how you do this all the time. Like we had two people. I think it's less scary when you have another person who can back up you when you lose track. You also get used to it at some point, I guess. Maybe? Not yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's literally new, I guess. We can redo this interview like every year, like the Billie Eilish interview. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then I can ask you again next year if you if you got used to it. But then you need new questions. Oh, I, I'll find new questions. Me and Sophie will have some new things to ask you. Um, but yeah, thank you very much. Thank you, Stu. When you enjoy listening to us, the best way to support us is by following us on your chosen podcast app. This could either be Google Podcast, Spotify or Apple Podcast. Another good way to support us is by following our Instagram account, which is called kaleidoscience underscore pod. On our Instagram account, you will also get regular information on the next episode. Thanks a lot for supporting us. This was Kaleidoscience, hosted by Elisa Palmer and Sönke Löw. Produced by Elina Ohnesorge, Elisa Palmer, Sönke Löw and Sophie Kühne. Produced in collaboration with the Cognitive Science Student Journal. The music was produced by Jan Lukas Schröder. The logo was designed by Annika Richter. Thank you for listening and joining us on our journey through conversations on cognitive science.